Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our monthly Wealth Wisdom podcast series. I'm your host, John Lawson of Asante Wealth Management, Sauna Family Office. Our clients ask us for our thoughts on an incredibly wide breadth of subject. But one of the most common subjects is real estate. So today we have Steve Soretsky, who is a Vancouver realtor and author behind one of Vancouver's most popular real estate blogs. Steve is widely considered a thought leader in the industry with regular appearances on BNN, CBC, CKNW, CTV, and a contributor to BC Business Magazine. Steve has built a successful business while working with and providing advisory services to investment advisors, financial institutions, policymakers, and real estate developers. So Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, Got a number of questions lined up. First being, uh, it seems like this uh, recent surge in Canadian real estate investment is coming from domestically rather than abroad. And you uh, mentioned recently in your blog post uh, that it's manufactured by politicians in Ottawa. Uh, can you explain uh, that, what you mean, uh, and for those that don't know? Yeah, I think it's just everybody's looking for fingers to point at and who to blame. I mean, I think in 2016, it was pretty obvious that there was a wave of offshore money, you know, particularly from China coming into the housing market here. And obviously that kind of got the party started. So that was pretty easy. I think people demanded a foreign buyer's tax. Um, and so, you know, it was very easy to point the finger and try to blame somebody. But I think today everybody's trying to say, well, who, who do we blame today? Right. You don't have, you don't have any, um, you know, immigration or population growth. I think we had the lowest in Canada, the lowest population growth last year since world war one. Um, so that was non-existent with travel. The, obviously the Chinese money is not following as a result of that. You know, you don't have, you've got a weak labor market. Um, we were building a lot of housing supply. So there's really like, everybody's looking to figure like, well, who do we blame? And uh, I think it's, unfortunately, I think for the mass public, it's, it's you, know, you know, understanding sort of policy measures, monetary policy, it's a little bit of a complicated topic. So most people just don't get it. And I think if we look at the host of measures that was brought in at the onset of the pandemic or this crisis is you had Aussie lowering the, uh, stability buffer ratio down to zero. Um, so that obviously increases, you know, bank lending capacity. You had CMHC reintroduce a program called the insured mortgage purchase program, where basically they just buy off mortgages off the bank's balance sheets, again, increasing lending capacity. And then you had the bank of Canada, obviously coming in and, and, uh, engaging in, you know, massive amounts of quantitative easing, um, you know, in particular, they're running their Bank of Canada mortgage bond purchase program. So basically, long story short, is all these programs were designed to get banks to lend money uh, during this crisis, right? If you have banks starting to tighten credit, um, you know, we would have had probably a much, much deeper recession. And so the, the goal, I think, was quite, quite clearly to get money in the hands of people. And the easiest way for banks to do that is to issue residential mortgages. And so if you look at residential mortgage credit growth in Canada, that's actually running at a 10 year high today. So you have banks basically pumping out 10 year highs in, in residential mortgage uh, credit at a time when you know the fundamentals are, are not great. So clearly there's a mandate, I think from up top that says you need to get money out the window and uh, the measures that they brought in place helped the banks to do that. Great. Okay. Thanks. Good explanation. Um, I, I uh, laughed a little bit when you said that we're at uh, the uh, lowest population growth since the war. Well, you know what happened after that? 
Uh, and uh, we, we probably uh, uh, see the same thing in terms of a bit of a COVID baby boom uh, coming up in the, uh, in the next year or so. Uh, who knows? We'll see. Um, I, I know actually around the office here, we, we've already started to see it. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think, I mean, I know they're obviously trying to do fast track, like immigration right now. Um, they're kind of lowering like their quote unquote standards for who they would normally allow into the country for permanent residency and stuff. So I think that, uh, they're certainly trying to ramp that up. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting for sure. So uh, we, we've seen a uh, ripple effect in the Lower Mainland uh, and elsewhere, not so much by uh, downsizers now, but uh, the work anywhere effect driven by COVID. Uh, what's your comment on that? Is that something that you see continuing? Uh, has it really had an impact? Yeah, I mean, the, the largest like price strength or appreciation has been in the suburbs, obviously. Uh, so if you look at... Uh, you know, the home price index for single family houses in the Fraser Valley, I mean, it's up 20% year over year. Uh, that's the strongest pace of growth across any segment of the market. Uh, however, I would actually argue that that's kind of a lagging indicator that, that, that home price index. So it's honestly probably closer to 25 to 30% price growth um, for single family houses and townhouses aren't far behind that. So um, that's been the largest driver of growth. And obviously the laggard has been like the downtown condo. I mean, those prices, um, you know, for two bedroom condos, those, those prices are still down on a year over year basis. And, and the one bedrooms have been for the most part, pretty flat. Um, but I do think like, I do think that the hype around work from home, I, I think is a little bit overblown. I think that looking at the price growth, um, you know, you're seeing unbelievable price growth in places like Chilliwack and, know Bowen Island and, and the Gulf Islands and stuff like that and so I just think that a lot of that is unsustainable growth uh, and I do think that once we go back to a more of a normal um, I think that you'll see a, a bit of a reversal um, personally. Interesting all right and so uh, the detached market you, you uh, touched on this just a little bit with the Vancouver condo market but uh, uh, houses, townhouses, um, they've been garnering the most attention of late. Uh, what are your thoughts on that lagging condo market? Is that going to catch up or are we going to see uh, uh, revert to the mean for the uh, detached housing? Uh, I think it's following a similar trajectory as 2015-16 where you, you, you started the increases in the single family market that typically, it's, it's, if you look at kind of past Vancouver housing cycles, it tends to be how it kind of plays out is, is it the one segment, the single family segment always kind of leads the charge. And then, you know, um, in 2017, we obviously saw that flip where all of a sudden the condos were grossly outpacing the single family market as, as it topped out. So I actually think that's kind of the early stages of what we're seeing now. I think that the single family market has arguably put in a high, um, at least in the near term here. And, uh, you know, so we're starting to see a little bit of a slowdown, you know, more sellers come, more inventory coming to market, some buyer fatigue. And you're actually seeing now is an acceleration in the condo market. So I would argue that uh, I, I think it's quite plausible that you could see um, condo outperformance over the next 12 months. Interesting. And so uh, Vancouver's condo market versus lower mainland as a whole, yeah, I look at this as more like when I reference these numbers, I'm usually looking at like greater Vancouver. So like lower mainland kind of as a whole, um, you know, again, there's, oh, there's always like, there's always going to be minor 
uh, tweaks based on, you know, neighborhood and, and municipality and stuff like that. But for the most part on a whole, uh, we do see the condo market accelerating. Um, even like the one bedroom condos downtown, for example, we've seen a lot of the investors are now back into the market. So at the onset of the pandemic, I think a lot of them were selling. They certainly weren't buying. I think there was a lot of fear on the streets. And uh, what we've noticed basically since the, um, since the announcement of the vaccine, every single month, the condo market downtown has gotten stronger. And it's particularly since January, January, February, and here into March, I mean, all these one bedroom condos under 650,000, every single one of them is going multiple offers. Right. Um, and that's more so that yes, there's some first time buyers in the market, but I think a lot of it is just investors um, kind of scrambling to quote unquote, catch the bottom. And I, and I think that uh, the bottom was put in many months ago. Okay. And, and so it, it, a little bit of what you're saying, and you've alluded to it uh, uh, once again, but um, it's that, that age old question. I'm sure you get uh, a lot of this, uh, but should people even be buying in this market? Uh, I mean, I think that we've, I've certainly cautioned a lot of my clients, you know, if you're looking for a single family house, I think that there's certainly been better times. I mean, I would argue the same for the townhouse market as well. Um, so, you know, like I, it just, I understand that people have a need, particularly for like a single family house, right? The need is, you know, well, we want to set our roots down and we, you know, we're going to live here for 10 years. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but I do think that if you're buying like a single family house today, again, as I mentioned in the suburbs, particularly prices are up, you know, 25, 30%, you're probably, I mean, I, I if you're going to buy today, I would say, don't be surprised if you have a 10% pullback in within the next 12 months. Uh, I just think it's gone too far too quick that, um, and I, I think that again, we're going to start to see inventory outpace sales. You'll go from a red, red hot market to a hot market, to a balanced market, to a buyer's market. Um, but that takes a little bit of time. So that's kind of how I'm talking to my clients. I mean, you know, as investors, I don't think the condo market's moved a whole lot. So I think that there's still, uh, I still think it's a green light to go ahead. I think that uh, you have to have, again, like in this market, you have to always have a long-term outlook. Um, so for the investor, you know, for a condo investor in greater Vancouver, right? I mean, the reality is, is cap rates aren't high. I mean, they haven't been for a while. Uh, so you're looking at it as a lot of, hey, listen, I'm going to borrow at 2%, uh, which I would argue is probably below the rate of inflation. And, uh, you know, you try to lock that in and just basically collect the rents. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, and that, you know, that, if you get some price appreciation on top, I think that's more of a bonus. But yeah. I know everybody likes to speculate on higher prices, but it's, you know, it's hard to say, right? I mean, if you get, uh, you know, if that five-year mortgage goes from what we had is one and a half up to say 3%, then I think you'll probably see prices pull back a bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you touched on two things there. Um, one of them being uh, if, if buying to use as a rent, uh, rental right now, is it still feasible? And if so, where? So do you see a difference in the lower mainland uh, of areas? And, and so you've said, yes, uh, people really are. Uh, and there's good opportunity right now in the condo side anyways. Uh, I, can't, I don't see it much in the, in the housing, but maybe you beg to differ. Yeah, I mean, I think you're getting better yields, obviously, like further out from the city core, right? I mean, if you go into the Fraser Valley, like you're going to get a slightly higher cap rate, but, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know if I'd say slightly less stable tenant, uh, likely less price appreciation, in my opinion, it's hard to say, I think, I just think that, like, you know, if you look at where the, 
for the new building and the construction is going like we don't really build a whole lot of new housing here in like the city of Vancouver. We just have a municipality that refuses to sort of green light projects. And the fact is that every single project that launches in the city of Vancouver now is quote unquote luxury. So for example, if you're looking to buy a new construction project downtown, the lowest you're going to buy in today, the lowest price you'll see today. And, and over the past five years has been about 1600 bucks a square foot. So I mean, the, the numbers are like, you, you know, you got to be putting down large sums of money to make those numbers work. And so I think the days of sort of affordable, you know, product in the city of Vancouver as an investor. So I always look at that and say, well, you know, if you can buy a condo downtown, that's say 10 years old for a thousand bucks a square foot, that's arguably much better value than a new construction at 1600. Um, but I do think, so we, yeah, we're just not building a whole lot in the city. And I think most of that construction, if you look at it, it's happening in, you know, Surrey, Langley, Abbotsford, um, you know, parts of Burnaby. Um, that's kind of where we're seeing most of the new construction. So you'll have more supply to compete with, but I do think you also have the benefit of more and more people moving to these locations just out of um, necessity. Yes, absolutely. And do you see lots of uh, uh, construction? I know as I drive around, uh, uh, specifically Fraser Valley is where I spend most of my time uh, going between the offices in Surrey and Abbotsford and uh, uh, live in the South Surrey area. Uh, lots of uh, cranes, lots of building going on. Uh, do you see that continuing? Well, yeah, I mean, I think right now, like we're, we're just off the highs of units under construction. I think at one point, like last year, we had about 40,000 units under construction, which was an all-time high for the lower mainland. And uh, so we, and we will have, I think last year in 2020, we had record uh, home completions. And I think like 2021 will be another strong year for completion. So, cause again, like a lot of that product um, was initially getting constructed in 2015 and 2016 during that, during the, the last boom. And so a lot of that construction um, because of the lag has obviously been completing over the last you know year and, and into this year and next year. So I do think we have a lot of supply coming to market and that will probably put a lid a little bit on, on price appreciation for the condo market. Um, and, and I think that, you know, housing stars, you look at them, they're still quite strong as well. I mean, they've, they've rolled off a little bit, but they're, they're strong. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my, my second point that you had brought up a little while ago, uh, you, you talked about, uh, yes, uh, prices are high, it's frothy, maybe coming off uh, or taking a bit of a breather. And don't be surprised if you're uh, buying a detached uh, home that in the next little bit, you may get a 10% pullback. Um, so fair to say that when you are talking to clients about the reason for their buying, uh, it had better be long-term um, because if you're looking at, and this is how we talk to clients about investment is what's the purpose of what you're doing. Uh, mm -hmm. And if it's long-term, then, uh, then it's uh, an investment uh, and we look at what it is that we're buying and we make sure that it's a good investment. Uh, if it's short-term, then really what you're doing is gambling. Mm -hmm. And so uh, fair to say, same analogy in the uh, uh, real estate market right now? Yeah, I mean, I just think that um, this pandemic boom has been driven mostly by, I mean, almost all by end users, right? Everybody's all oh, these you know, speculators. And it's like, 
trust me, there's not a whole lot of investors buying single family houses for 1.7 million and renting them out for 4,000 bucks. Like the numbers just don't work. So, you know, the, the majority of the strength at the, at the onset was driven by the single family market. It was more just an emotional need that people were spending 90% of their time at home. They wanted more space. Um, and, and I think that people were, everybody was looking to upsize and, and they're just, you know, when you have a whole bunch of people looking to upsize at one time, um, you know, we just had more demand than we had inventory for sale and that just pushed the prices up exponentially. Um, and I think, again, it almost creates a little bit of a feedback loop too, where, because I think at the onset, there's some people thinking, oh, okay, well, prices are going to come down. This is my opportunity. And then as we saw, obviously these policy measures come out, the housing market took off. Um, you know, people like, wow, like, yeah, I think it just reinforced this idea that, oh, Vancouver real estate's bulletproof. And I'm not saying that it is. Um, but I think that when, you know, we interfere in, in some of these, you know, quote unquote, free markets is that, you know, we've already had a 20 plus bull market and everybody was thinking this was going to be the one. Uh, and, you know, it turned out to be the exact opposite, right? We had CMHC, our, our, our government mortgage agency in Canada coming out and telling everybody prices are going to fall nine to 18%, which I think at the time was probably a rational forecast, um, given the underlying, you know, unemployment situation and, and how scared everybody was. Um, but it turned out to be the exact opposite. If you look at national, national home price index, uh, as of February, the HPI, which adjusts, it adjusts for, uh, the composition of what's selling. Um, national home prices are up 17% year over year. Wow. So they, they, their forecast was literally the complete opposite. And you have to think these are the guys that have more data than any of us. They literally know every, like they have the bank's balance sheets. They look at all these mortgages that are, you know, on their books and, and they have all these, you know, hired and trained economists and they were completely wrong. So it becomes difficult to obviously, you know, the, I always caution people about trying to forecast things, but um, yeah, I've, I've probably deviated from your original question, but I think that uh, it's been invent, it's been largely end user driven out of an emotional needs uh, basis. Well, that's a, that's a great explanation, and actually, you uh, you led right into uh, one of my last questions for you, and uh, that was it. You you I think you alluded to almost there uh, the crystal ball. Uh, so what I'm, what I want to ask you is looking past all this euphoria, uh, what do you see in the next one year, five year, 10 years, uh, specifically for the lower mainland, not the, let's be a little selfish for those of our listeners and viewers here in lower mainland. What's your, what do you see? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think that, uh, I mean, it's so much of it now, right. You know, as, as well, I think it's like, we're seeing like global asset prices basically all kind of follow each other, right? The stock market sells off. You usually see some weakness in the housing market. And uh, yeah, I think everybody's now just, everybody's watching the Fed, right? What's, what are these central banks going to do? And it's, you know, don't fight the Fed kind of thing. And, and it, so it's, you know, I think if we, I think over the next year, like I think it's probably likely that you're going to see yields push a little bit higher um, if the mortgage rates go from where they are, they were from 1.5 to now they're at 2.2, let's say they go to three, I think that you're going to see a pullback in the housing market. Um, and, but, you know, if rates remain subdued, you know, sub two and a half, uh, I think that's, 
bullish for the housing market um, just because people are going to be reaching for yield. And um, so I think that will provide some, but again, I think it really just hinges on what policymakers do, what, what central banks do, where, where rates are going to be. My personal opinion of rates is that why I think that we're going to see some inflation over the next 12 months. I personally think it's a little bit more transitory. I just think that we have so much debt. The demographics aren't great. Uh, and technology, I just think we're still in a longer term. I think we're in a deflationary environment. And I don't think that anybody has the stomach or the ability to actually meaningfully raise interest rates. Um, so that, that's my personal opinion. It's so hard to say, right? I mean, everybody's trying to guess inflation, deflation, what's going to happen. And, and uh, I'm still in the camp that while we'll have inflation in the near term, um, I still think longer term we're in a deflationary environment. Yeah, don't disagree. I uh, just did uh, uh, one of our podcasts with Drummond Brodeur um, and Global Strategist. And uh, it's one of the things that he talked about is that uh, uh, the, the drive right now for governments is get inflation going because uh, inflation doesn't scare them. It's deflation that terrifies them. Uh, so they want to get as far away from deflation as possible. Uh, but uh, so they won't even attempt to slow things down until uh, they see uh, the in inflation being sustained over 2% uh, as, as opposed to, and that's by their measurement, let's, let's face yeah. it. We all know that real inflation is much more than that. But uh, whereas their policy used to be, as soon as you started to momentum towards that 2%, they'd put the brakes on. So uh, mm -hmm. absolutely agree with you. Uh, and, and to your other point that uh, it, it's, uh, you, I think you called it transitory, um, uh, shorter term, uh, because we cannot afford to have high interest rates. Therefore, governments will step in and make sure that they uh, don't get too high because uh, people uh, people just can't afford it. Uh, the economy can't afford it at this point and, uh, or, or more so they don't have the stomach uh, to do it, as you said. Um, or maybe lead into uh, uh, something else. I was, uh, I, I was actually uh, going to end it there, but you, what you made me think of is something that uh, I, I can't remember if it was one of your uh, blogs or uh, a tweet that I read in there. You talked about the haves and have-nots. And uh, you talked about them, uh, the have-nots, uh, particularly younger generation, uh, being priced out of the market and what a impact this has on them. But it's, it's not just housing market, though. Uh, yes, it is housing market, but it's really... Uh, hard assets, it's assets that they lack um, because you have somebody who rents uh, and earns an income but doesn't have any investments or uh, any real estate, um, their income is not going up at the pace of uh, their, their assets are going up and, and that just creates the divide. So yes, it's housing, um, but it, it's, it's more than housing, it's all assets. Yeah, I think it's just creating like societal frictions, right? I think that, um, you know, again, obviously QE, you know, per the Bank of England, like the intended, not the unintended, the intended consequence of QE is to raise or boost asset prices, right? So obviously it benefits those who have assets, but, you know, particularly, you know, people that uh, are on the lower income spectrum that don't have assets, or if you're just a younger individual, you know, just getting out of school 
post-secondary or whatever, obviously you don't have a whole lot of assets. So you haven't really benefited from, you know, all these policy measures. And I think that it's definitely creating some societal frictions. And I, I personally think that again, whether you like it or don't like it, I think that we're going to see uh, a lot more. So one of the, you asked me about the outlook for, for Vancouver housing. I think you're going to see a lot more tax measures, a lot more policy changes um, to try to offset some of the inequalities that these, because I just think, well, again, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, I just think that politicians are going to be uh, forced to, um, because I just think there's so much friction. I'm out there, you know, every day talking to clients and talking to people on social media about housing and, and you can just tell there's so much um, anger um, as to sort of what's happening. And, you know, even, even I hear, I talk to, you know, clients all the time where, you know, they, they might be a little bit older um, and uh, you know, they've done, you know, made millions off their real estate, but they're looking at and saying, well, how are my kids and my grandkids ever going to get into the market, you know, without me, obviously, you know, gifting them, you know, large sums of money. So I think that they understand that something is, is, you know, not quite right. And I, so I do think that um, I think we're going to see a lot more taxation uh, against real estate here to try to rein things in. And I'm not saying that's going to be successful, but they'll try it. Yep. Don't disagree. There's uh, somebody, uh, uh, well, a couple of things. Somebody has got to pay the bill for all the money that's being spent. Uh, and then uh, also, as you say, there's uh, uh, that inequities that have been created or exasperated by uh, the situation. So um, Steve, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming in and uh, speaking with me. Uh, great insight. Really enjoy following uh, your comments and your thought process. Uh, look forward to uh, maybe having a follow-up in a year or so just to see, uh, see how those predictions, uh, those crystal balls did for you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't hold me to account. Yeah, no, this yeah. is... Uh... A lot of fun, but definitely open to coming back on. There was uh, any, you know, any way I can help. Great. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Steve. And looking forward to our next video podcast, we have Glenn Landry, our favorite sleep doctor. For those of you who have been fortunate enough to hear him speak live at our events, we know you'll be excited to see him again in this format. So until then, Asante Sana. Hi, I'm Trevor Beggs from Sana Family Office, and thanks for listening to John Lawson and the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. Here are the necessary disclosures. Asante Capital Management is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources, However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the above, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast.